Welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. I'm Dan Thomas, joined in the studio today by Craig Burley and Stevie Nicker. We've spoke at length, haven't we, over the last few days about Manchester United and their continued failing, somewhat overshadowing then Chelsea, of course, back to losing ways at the weekend as they lost home against Brentford. They're in action tomorrow in the Carabao Cup at home against Blackburn, a game which Mauricio Pochettino is hoping can once again kickstart their season. I told you before, we start the season, I think uh, competition like Carabao Cup or FA Cup, Cup they're going to be really important for us. I think tomorrow we're going to try to play with, the, with our best uh, team. Uh, some players that maybe we need to rest because uh, we need to give some rest because after the um, Saturday game uh, we cannot take some risk, but in general we are going to try to put our best. Uh, team to go through to the competition, I think it's important, and to try to build another momentum and after go to Tottenham and then to receive to, to Manchester City with the trust and the confidence that we can beat them also. Well, James Ollie joins us. James, you, you were at the Brentford game. I imagine after a little bit of optimism from what we saw before from Chelsea, that very much took the wind out of their sails. How was the crowd reacting? Well, <laughs> To be honest, there was a bit of apathy, really, because I don't think it's anything different to what they've seen, obviously, the back end of last, for much of last season, particularly towards the end of last season under Frank Lampard. And then for early parts of this season, it's been more of the same. I know that there was a lot, there was a lot written in certain places about um, whether they turned a corner after a couple of wins against Burnley and, and Fulham, and obviously they played well against Arsenal for a while. And, I, and I, I actually felt maybe in my match piece I'd been a little bit too harsh on them after they drew 2-2 against Arsenal, whereas some people were right and they turned a corner. And I was sort of suggesting, well, maybe they'd not actually got that statement win that they needed, because as good as they were against Arsenal for sort of 60, 70 minutes, ultimately they fell away, they conceded cheap goals, and they didn't get the win that they needed. And, and I think what we saw against Brentford was if they didn't take the warnings from the game against Arsenal then what happened against Brentford could happen. And that was very much a, a familiar pattern. You know, they started well. First 25 minutes, they were on top. They created chances. They didn't take them. I mean, that goal we're seeing there, what a cheap goal to concede from a defensive point of view. Really, really poor. And in this second one, OK, look, they're chasing the game and, and something like this can happen deep into stoppage time. But the first goal, I think, is, is really indicative of a lot of the problems that there are there at the moment. That when they don't have control of a game, when they don't take their chances, they are so vulnerable. And then a setback just seems to to uh, allow the self-belief and the confidence to just flow away from this team. And and that's really where Pochettino is at at the moment. He's trying to break this cycle, this cyclical pattern of start well, create chances, don't put yourself in a winning position, uh, concede a soft goal, and then struggle to get back into it. And that the problem for him is it keeps happening. Whether whatever team he picks, whatever injuries he has at the moment, it's it's a very sort of familiar pattern week by week, and that really is a pattern he's got to break sooner rather than later. James, what would it take for this apathy to turn to anger? Well, uh, look, I mean the run, the fixtures they've got coming up are not great. Um, obviously, you'd expect them to beat Blackburn at home tomorrow in the League Cup. If they go out of the League Cup. That's clearly a, a major blow to a team that's not in Europe. But really, he's going to be judged on the Premier League, getting themselves back into the top four, top five. And then the run of games they've got coming up is extremely difficult. And 
this is where it's going to, you know, it tests the patience of the owners, really, because you don't see them coming out of these games. I mean, that game at Tottenham, of all the ways that Mauricio Pochettino could have gone back to Spurs, some many times we thought it might be in the home <laughs> dugout and he might go back to Tottenham. He's going to go back to, aside from Arsenal, the biggest rivals that Tottenham have in Chelsea, who are struggling at the moment in a very difficult run of form. Manchester City, you can't really see them get anything out of that. Newcastle is one of the toughest places to go these days in in the Premier League. Brighton, of course, have been fantastic under Roberto De Zerbi. And Manchester United, of course, they're a bit of anything at the moment, but still going to Old Trafford is a tougher game than most, you would think, on paper very much at least. So, look, I mean, if they don't win any of those games, then I think the apathy will turn to anger quite quickly because they're going to look across town. They're going to look at Ange Postacoglu and think, he's come in, he's not had the money that's been spent in anywhere like the same volume as at Stamford Bridge, and he's got a clear identity, he's got a way of playing. Yes, they've been very lucky, I think, with injuries spurs at the moment in contrast to Chelsea, but he's made an impact straight away. They'll look at Unai Emery, Aston Villa. Very clear identity. It's clear what they want to do, what they're trying to do. Yes, they don't win every week. And again, they've not got the resources that Chelsea have got, but you can see what they're trying to do. There have been flashes of that, I think, under, under Pochettino. Um, signs of progress, signs of being able to, to start to put together a team. But I think if there's not more... Um, coherent game plans that last for longer in matches and obviously they start winning games, then I think those fans are going to start asking the question pretty quickly of whether this manager is the right one to, to take them forward. Chelsea are weird, aren't they? Well, it is weird because we... I, I feel, personally, and I don't know about the other guys, but I feel like we've not really talked about them and, and, and rightly so, in a sense. I mean, we've talked about them in fits and starts. Obviously, we didn't see the Chelsea game at the weekend, the Brentford game, because we were covering the Classical, we were on live with that. The next day we moved on to Man United, that yep. was another huge story, and so they've been sort of, they've been sort of in, in, in the backdrop there, uh, which is what I said at the start of the season, I think they're going to be a, a bit of an afterthought. Now, it's, as James said, it's, it's how long the fans are going to put up with that. If there's some signs of, some semblance of patterns of play and improvement on the field... But results are just maybe coming up a bit short. Maybe they'll accept that. Maybe they'll accept that. But at the end of the day, it's a results-driven business. And, and, and we saw last year to an extent when the fans started to tell them and questioning Graham Potter, you know, was he experienced enough? Was this too big a job for him? All that sort of stuff. The, the Todd Bowley and his cronies will only turn one way. But there's yeah. only so many times they can do that. So it's a big few weeks for them. But I look at their side... I mean, Chelsea, for me, are not a big surprise they're in this position. Man United are a surprise. Yes. That's the difference. Right. After last year, I felt Man United would have, you know, at least some stability there and we'd be in a better position. I'm not surprised one iota that we're still talking about Chelsea uh, in this manner uh, and that they're still huffing and puffing uh, and being where they are on the table. I, I think... I, I kind of disagree with James a lot, to be honest with you. They can't score a goal to save their life. That's the problem. And they don't have a striker, at, do they? Are we going, well, exactly, isn't this the vicious circle of Chelsea? So now, so now we're getting to the crux of the matter. You know, it's one thing to blame Pochettino, and then you can start throwing out um, Postacoglu doing this and, and somebody else doing that. Listen, Chelsea don't have a problem getting from the back to the front. They don't. This graphic gets longer every time right, we put it up. Chelsea don't, do not have a problem getting from the back, right, through okay. the middle, okay. to the front. They don't. But what they do have a problem with 
with his creating clear chances and putting the ball in the net. And the biggest problem and the biggest reason is that Pochettino's been given a team that doesn't have a natural goal scorer. And that's it. You know, well, what's, the what's, the what's the difference to Tottenham? Defensively, well, they've got someone, they've got a goal oh, scorer. Hold on a minute, Poster Coglu. Hold on, let me finish. We're talking about them. They haven't got a goal scorer. We're talking about them defensively. Tottenham do not have a goal scorer. Defensively, the fifth in the Premier League. So, the de so, so defending isn't the problem. You know, yes, you're going to give away a goal like they did at the end because they're chasing the game. And yes, when you're under so much pressure, every single time you step on the field to not let a goal in because you can't score one, that affects the whole team. The whole team. So, come on. Where's the goals coming from? Sterling, right, you can't, wait, you, how long you can't have we use said that, Sterling's not a finisher? You can't say Postacoglu never had a problem to deal with when he went in there. I didn't say that. Well, I'm, you just, say, you said, well, I'm it, telling it, you that they've got, got a striker. goal scorer. Who? Son. Listen, they've got a goal scorer. This team does not have a goal Hummel scorer. Son's not a goal scorer, right. He's a worker. How many goals he, he got in the last three seasons? He didn't have his best... Hunkman's son did not finish his season well last year. So he's not year. a goal scorer? He's not a striker. So what does he do? All he does to, every time I see him playing, all he does is put the ball in the back of the net. Tottenham so sold, a goal scorer. Tottenham sold the best, arguably one of the best, and top three strikers in Europe. He went in and, and you know, one or two pundits in Sky Sports at the weekend talking about Poster Coglu walked into a stable ship. What absolute <laughs> drivel. Absolute not. They just sacked their director of football. They just sold their best striker. You know, the, the Daniel Levy doesn't buy players. He's Pochettino will have to do better with what he's got until Nkunku or others come. Yes, they've signed Madison. Craig, how right. can he if they can't? If they don't, none of them can put the ball in the net. How are they going to? How are they going to win games? That's his problem. <laughs> he was a problem. He, listen, he, it's he, a problem he that has been it. stuck in his lap. No, he wasn't. Lampard he wanted the job. Lampard couldn't do it. Lampard couldn't do it. Hold on. Let's not get there with Lampard. Well, I'm just saying, another another manager at Chelsea, they couldn't score goals, and they've given they've given the same problem to Pochettino, and I think you're being harsh if you're going to blame Pochettino because they can't score goals. I think that's not being harsh. You got you got to, you got to put, you got to look around and say, are other people getting more with what they've got at this moment in time than Pochettino and Ten Hag and others? And I think the answer is yes, and that's a problem. You, you mentioned that's a problem for the Chelsea fans and the Chelsea hierarchy that if this continues and the Tottenham story continues and the Newcastle story possibly, and others, mm. they'll say, well, you know, you've got to get more out of this group than you're getting. Go on, James. Well, look, where, where Steve's right is that um, this has been a long-standing issue in terms of Chelsea not being able to take their chances. I mean, you could take you could take this all the way back to Thomas Tuchel. It's the reason they signed Romelu Lukaku, right? They were creating a lot of chances. They thought we're going to we've bought Lukaku, we've bought a proven goal scorer. He's someone who's essentially going to be the final piece in the jigsaw. We all talked about it that summer. Are uh, is Lukaku the final piece in the jigsaw for Chelsea to win the league? That was the the talk about it at that time. Obviously, it didn't work out. But in terms of not being clinical enough in front of goal, that is, there's a through line there from Tuchel. Graham Potter, I'm not a, I say it a lot on this show, I'm not a massive fan of XG, but I do think it is quite indicative, expected goals. And the, the differential between the goals that Chelsea scored and their XG 
was the biggest of any team in the league under Graham Potter. I think it was about 7.4, 7.5. It's a big, big differential. And again, that shows you they're creating chances and they're not taking them. And that is why I go back to the first point I made, which is that this is a cyclical problem that Pochettino has not been able to change. You know, Chelsea have been creating chances and not taking them for about two and a half, three years. And yes, they've spent a billion pounds on the squad. And Steve's absolutely right. You look at that squad at the moment and you think, well, there isn't a, there isn't a, a top quality number nine there you think is going to score you 20, 25 goals a season. I think they hope that would be Christopher Nkunku. And where I do have some sympathy with Pochettino is that I suspect he's not even been able to train with his first choice 11, let alone play with them. He has had a lot of injuries to deal with. And Kunku, of course, got injured in pre-season. I think Nicholas Jackson, therefore, has been exposed probably a little bit more than they would have liked. I think they'd like to have given him a, um, a slightly slower progression into the first team, whereas he's had to try and come in and hit the ground running. They've had issues with Romeo Lavia when they signed him right at the end of the window. I think they're, 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 so if they're going to play 4-3-3, I think their three in midfield will be Caicedo, Fernandez and Lavia. That three has never played together. Fernandez was injured at the weekend against Brentford and he was a sore miss there. You could see that they didn't quite have the same dynamism. Again, Steve's talking about can they play through midfield easily enough? Yes, they can. But when they've got Enzo Fernandez there, yes, they can. When they can't, they're nowhere near as good. So I think there's certainly a big, a big mitigation for Pochettino in the fact that just the sheer volume of injuries he's got to deal with. Think about the fullback situation. Rhys James is going to play his first game against Blackburn tomorrow night. I think it's the second start of the season. Opening weekend was his first. Uh, ben Chilwell obviously is injured at the moment. He's gone out to LA to do his rehab. He's going to come back. Not sure exactly when his return date is. Again, going back to Thomas Tuchel, he used to talk all the time about, I don't have James, I don't have Chilwell, I don't have my fullbacks. They're the key part of way we, the way we play. If they can get those two fit, that's a big part of it. But it's this cyclical nature of the same performances time and time again. And that is the problem for Pochettino. He's got to make it look different. There have been signs of it but they're falling into the same patterns. And that, I think, is why there's apathy at the moment among the Chelsea fans rather than anger, because they're saying, well, actually, do you know what? Fair play. He's got a few injuries to deal with, and we've watched this already. This is a problem that predates Pochettino. The problem is, the longer that goes on, the more the fans will start to say, well, hang on a minute. He's a you know, uh, world-renowned manager, high-profile, coming on big money. He's supposed to be molding this very expensively assembled squad into something more than we've already seen. And that's the challenge for him over the next few weeks. So why should he be any different come February or March than Graham Potter? Right. Because well, he... it's, it was fashionable, maybe, James, because Graham Potter was seen as a guy who it was too big a club for him. And yet, yeah, Pochettino's had his spell, particularly at Southampton and then at Tottenham. But he's hardly... Guardiola or Klopp here, mm. is he? Or Sir Alex Ferguson. I mean, he's been a good manager, but he's not absolutely proven that he'll get this Chelsea side over the line. So why, why should he be any different in two or three months if results haven't changed than, than the unfashionable Graham Potter? Last word on this to you, James. I'm, I'm not sure he will be. I think, I think right. if, you know, the, the, the big problem for Chelsea is financial fair play. You know, they cannot afford to miss out again on any sort of European football. But really, they want to get into the top four. They want to get maybe if it's top five in the Champions League. And if you look at the table, they're already 11 points behind. <laughs> 11 already. And they've only played 10 games. So if we're getting to you know January, February time, 
and Chelsea are that far off the top, it's the pressure is going to be huge on Todd Bowley and Clear Lake to look at this situation and say, do you know what, maybe we've got to make another change. There's no appetite for them to do it at the moment. They absolutely do not want to. And clearly, if they are going to sack the manager and the coaching staff, that is another huge financial outlay in itself. But the very minimum that Pochettino was supposed to achieve this season was European football. And really, after spending the money they have, it was to get back in the Champions League. And already, after 10 games, that is starting to look like a tall order. Uh, James, as always, are you going to the game tomorrow, James? I'm doing the other one. I'm going to West Ham Arsenal, actually. Oh, big one. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> well, there we are, James. We'll leave on that note. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled, and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, meanwhile, of course, in the Carabao Cup, the defending champions are in action tomorrow as well. Oh, it seems like a long time ago, doesn't it, for Manchester <laughs> United fans, the celebrations uh, over being... Who did they beat in the final? Newcastle. Newcastle, of course, is who they did are facing. Did you the biscuit there? Or did you uh, well, I was just leading it on. I was just oh, kind right. of taking it nicely into the next segment, which you'll see. Clever. You're such a clever boy. Well, Manchester, <laughs> some would say, a smarty pants. Uh, Manchester United then taking on Newcastle. Take a look at the difference of their win percentage, in fact. Before they won the Carabao Cup and after, 72% before, 55% uh, this season, resting on their laurels somewhat. Uh, now, how would you say the bookies, how would you have the bookies set up for this? Uh, let's well, say. I saw Eddie how whinging on about injuries today, oh, so. There you go. Harping on. Okay, uh, let's take a look. We've got the odds, here they are. So, Manchester United are favourite to advance to the next round. Newcastle coming in at 6-5. Rob Dawson uh, joins us now from Manchester to look ahead to the tie. Rob, this is the last thing Ten Hag needs, isn't it? A Carabao Cup tie that actually matters against a proper team. Yeah. Um, simply put, he could probably do with a nice winnable home game against a, um, a lower league team to, to build some kind of confidence and some momentum. You know, they need some kind of reaction after what happened in the Manchester derby on Sunday. The last thing that Ten Hag needs now is a game against Newcastle, a dangerous game where they could possibly get knocked out of the Carabao Cup. 
and then the dark clouds start gathering all over again and, and you, you move on to Fulham in the Premier League on Saturday, another tricky game. And ultimately, this is all down to Man United just not playing well. They're just not playing well enough to feel confident against any opposition and, and every game at the moment looks like it's dangerous. Newcastle's not going to play a proper team. They can't play a proper No, but even, the worry is even their fringe players are going to give... That makes it worse, though, doesn't it? Man United a game. <laughs> In, I mean, you can look at it that way, yes, because they'll be they'll be given everything. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got to think that United is going to put a proper team. Yeah. Because Rob, they go full strength to tomorrow. Imagine, yeah. They have to win this game. They'll certainly. I mean, there'll be players back. You'd expect Reguilón will play. Varane was on the bench on Sunday. He'll play. There's a possibility of Casemiro. You know, beyond that, the, the other injury concerns are all long-term injuries, so they won't be back. You know, there won't be massive changes to the team, but they. Ten Hag is in a situation now where he just can't afford to rest anyone either. You know, that he would maybe look at resting someone like Marcus Rashford or Bruno Fernandes for these type of games, but he just can't afford to. You can't afford to lose the game and get knocked out. He's just in that situation that managers find themselves in now, where they're going game to game. They just there's no credit in the bank there from what they've done this season, and he just can't afford to lose. So. You know, you end up having to pick Rashford, you end up having to pick Fernandez. I, I, I guess there'll be United fans watching this thinking, well, Rashford isn't playing well enough anyway, so so you should drop him and play Garnacho. And Fernandez isn't playing well enough and drop him. But if he was to, to rest all those players and get, get knocked out, there'd be more questions about Ten Hag. It's almost a lose-lose situation for Ten Hag. You know, like Craig just said, you know, win and, and you were expected to against a team, a, a weakened Newcastle team probably lose and it's another disaster. I hope the players are not listening to his uh, pre- and post-match press conferences because they'll be having a giggle in the dressing room as you do. If your manager comes out and he's talking nonsense, the players the players talk. Yeah. And he has been. I mean, he's been... Yeah, the Ajax statement was strange, wasn't it? That you couldn't have... His Manchester United team couldn't play like Ajax because he didn't have the players to play that sort of style. Yeah. I, you know, I think the, the quotes have been multiple, but certainly from the weekend when he talked about going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, in the first half, and there was the list. The list was sort of endless. And look, I don't know what the situation is with the players listening to him and not behind the scenes. Whatever it is, good or bad, he has to get them on board mm. quickly, extremely quickly. How does he do that? Well, I think he has to just wean out the ones that are that are passengers, uh, on and off the field. Uh, I think you have, and it's been well documented, you know, the captaincy of Bruno Fernandes. Uh, took Hoyland off uh, at the weekend. He played... Is there too much made about that? Because when we talk about captain's armbands, you guys are never really that excited yeah, but... about who has it. No, but I'll look at him, and I looked at him, and he wasn't the only one, because when Anthony came on, he was so petulant, it was, it was unbelievable. In fact, if you could get Anthony uh, and Jadon Sancho out of that club tomorrow, they probably would, but there's a big financial huge financial outlay there. But when I, look, when I looked at the second half in particular, there was one moment with uh, Bruno Fernandes when City had a free kick. Uh, and it was a bit of a non-event, but he would not move. He refused to budge more than three or four yards away from the ball. Right. Just refused. And City refused to take the free kick. I can't remember who it was. And he, he, he flat out refused to move. It was utter petulance. And he walked after it as well. It was utter petulance. And I just think that, that, that trickles all the... That has already trickled all the way through, I think. And, and there's too many... As well as some weak players, there are too many bad apples at that club. Right. So you've got the worst of both worlds. I, th I think sometimes you get pushed into a position where 
I'm going to sacrifice a bit of quality for somebody who I think is going to run around for 90 right. minutes and do all the dirty stuff for 90 minutes. So where someone like McTominay comes in, that kind well, of... And, that's, and I guess that's where somebody like Bruno Fernandes is maybe a reason you leave him out, because when you've got the ball... Yeah, but you drop you your captain them. and you lose, and then it just snowballs even more. Well, but that's it? what's happening anyway. You know, there comes a time where you go, right, we need to just... Don't lose a goal. We defend, we make sure we defend, and then we, and then we start building from there. But is tomorrow the time to do that against Newcastle B? Well, well, yes. If you're not going to play against Newcastle's first team, what better opportunity is there to just eke out a win? And then you decide how you do it. If you think that for some reason you play all your so-called superstars and you go and beat Newcastle B, if you think you can do that, then that's what you do. But there comes a time where you... You sacrifice a bit of quality for just, I'm going to get something from this guy. And that's what I need right now. Uh, Rob, where do you stand on Craig's bad apples comment? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would probably broadly agree with that. I mean, th there are plenty of players there who, who just aren't good enough. You know, it's a simple um, answer. Um, and I think we've seen that not just this season, you know, for the last sort of decade United continue to sign players who aren't good enough the recruitment hasn't been good enough even under a Ten Hag you know you say that he probably wants to get Jaden Sancho out and that's probably true that's not a player he signed but he did sign Anthony he did mm. authorize United to spend 85 million pounds on him he's, he's the second most expensive signing that United have ever made and he's just not been good enough so I think for, for United to move forward they're gonna that, they're gonna have to get that side of things right obviously you know middle of the season, that's not the time to do it. I think Ten Hag's bigger concern right now is just how to get a tune out of the players he has. And unfortunately, we've not seen that once this season. You know, they've played 14 games, they've lost seven of those. You could argue that they didn't deserve to win any of them. The, the, the only comfortable victory they've had all season was against Palace's reserves in the Carabao Cup in September. There's an argument that they could have lost every other single game that they've played this season. And that's how bad that they've been. And that's why there's no confidence heading into this Newcastle game that even against Newcastle's reserves, they're going to get the job done. You know, even we talk about the game of the weekend, Fulham away. You know, imagine a Man United team heading into a game at Fulham away with the greatest respect to Fulham and thinking, well, we might lose here. But that's where United are. There's just no faith that this team is going to turn up and put in any kind of performance because we've just not seen it this season. It's interesting we put up that graphic, that ten, I'm not sure we can put that up again, that signing's under Ten Hag. Can you imagine Manchester City, Arsenal, like battling out for any of those players? It's just not not existent, is it? They're just. They're, oh well, they're, they've signed a squad player in Jeremy Docker who was 50 or 60 million. I mean, it was he even on the. I mean, <laughs> you could throw three wingers in from Man United and say, who would you have, Docker or any of them? I mean, Akanji at 15, 20 million. You know, they, they, it's not all. Man City haven't all been about, you know, going out and, and, and okay, Erling Haaland had a clause in his contract, but about going out and spending 100 million on the Jack Grealishes and others. They have signed some, some, some acute, some, uh, they've had some acute signings. So, uh, the one thing is, is I, 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 what I would say is, it's everywhere we talk about not playing well, right? And I, I get that. Listen, lots of players have periods and they don't play well and going to a club, big clubs too much for them. We'll pick out the two wingers because, you know, Jaden Sancho in particular uh, and Rob mentioned Anthony. And it is crystal clear that from day one he's been, you know, a flash Harry, right? From, from pretty yeah. much from day one. 
you know, he scored, he scored the odd great goal against a Charlton or whatever it was in the Carabao Cup last year. But then, but it's, it's not the fancy tricks and the, the flash. It's if you're not playing well at a club, right, and you're being selected, the one thing that you do, you don't swan around the field as if you are the big I am. Like Eric Cantona used to, and we both played in that era, Eric Cantona used to walk about with the chest puffed out because he knew he was one of the best and he delivered on the field. He had that arrogance about him. We see the same kind of arrogance, certainly from Anthony, walking about the field. But what's he delivering? Yeah. So go out there and work hard. Just grafting, 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 grafting. Do you know what? The fans, I think, will have at least some appreciation for that. Why else there be a frustration there? Sancho, in some sense, Brun, uh, uh, Marcus Rashford, and definitely Anthony. If you look at those guys and you look at the work rate, it has been bang average. Yeah. So that's the least United fans can expect. How's it got to that point, Rob? I mean, the fact that we're talking about this now, this early in, in, in the season, is a surprise, I think, because they did make a step forward last season under Ten Hag. Yeah. It did look like it was starting to get better. I think the expectation was that he would get more of his own players in again over the summer and they would again take another step forward. They perhaps weren't ready to challenge for the title, but they would get closer to City and to Arsenal and look like, you know, maybe in a year's time that they would get close to, to challenging for the title. The problem is they've taken such, or, or appear to have taken such a giant step back. That's the biggest shock, really, now. And, you know, probably we should have been talking about Ten Hag, you know, starting to mould this team into the way that he wants to play, more of his own players, you know, a bit of that kind of the Ajax flair. But instead we're talking about Ten Hag, possibly his job being under pressure. And, and, and that's where we are, because in the past, United have got to this position and not perform well at the start of seasons. And Jose Mourinho has been sacked mid-season. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been sacked mid-season. And at Man United, you, you, you tend to find that things unravel very, very quickly. That once things start to go bad, they get worse and worse and worse to the point where the only change that the club can make is to sack the manager. And I'm not suggesting that's where we are now with Ten Hag because United are desperate for it to work on the Ten Hag. Absolutely desperate. But ultimately, results will, will reveal everything. And if results don't get better very, very quickly, then he's going to become more and more under pressure. The fans are starting to going to, are going to lose faith. There's already you know, fans inside the stadium. We heard, him, heard them boo the, the substitution of, of Hoyland at the weekend. Fans are starting to question an awful lot about his recruitment decisions, about his in-game management. And when you get to that point, it's very, very hard to turn it around. And I would be worried for Ten Hag at the moment. If things don't improve drastically, very, very quickly, in terms of performances and results, He's going to be under an awful lot of pressure. And, and the only change when you reach that point that a club can make is to sack the manager, rightly or wrongly, because you can't sack the entire squad. It's just impossible. The only change you can make is to sack the manager. And, and Ten Hag, you know, possibly in, in, in a month or two, is, could look very, very vulnerable. It's funny, isn't it? We've all gone for a Manchester United win tomorrow, but what, of course, we saw midweek against Copenhagen, even if there is a one moment of optimism, you go into then the game at the weekend and it takes very little then to take the wind out of that. And that's because, and that's because the players aren't taking responsibility. You know, we can, yes, the manager always carries the can. But, you know, to, to Craig's point about Anthony in particular, everybody at some stage in their career... It's not, it, it, it doesn't go right. And every single coach will always tell you the best way of turning it around is working through it. And the important word being work. Right. 
And basically, it's down to you as an individual to work hard. Chase hard, do everything, just, just work. The problem with United have got is they've got so many players out of form that they're all looking for somebody else to give them the answer. When the answer is always with yourself. It's about working through your problems and whilst you're doing it, you do every single thing you can for the team. And if that means that if you're Anthony and you have to go back and help Dallow out and do it in a professional manner and get in a good position and try and take him wide or whatever, but they all seem to be looking around for somebody else to do it. It doesn't work that way. You have to do it yourself. Even, I mean, we've talked about this. I mean, there's not... What, I think the big worry is, is not just results are the key for any manager, but as big a concern for me as watching them and thinking, right, what are they trying to achieve here? Do they, do you, would you watch Man United, Dan, do you think, my God, they press the hell out of the ball? Well, what do you think when you watch them? They don't. Yeah. They don't press the hell out the ball. They don't set off teams. They're a, they're, they're a hybrid of sort of nothing. <laughs> they're like, and, and I don't want to go back because it just seems it's the flavour of the month, but it's, I think it's pertinent and, and Postacoglu and there are, there are others. How can a manager come into such a bang average situation with a team that generally, even against the worst teams in the Premier League, got below 50% possession... And have such a sea change. And I know, I know it will probably fall away from where it is now. But they'll continue to play the same way. They'll have an identity. How can he do that in such a short period of time? Right? How can Unai Emery come in and just galvanise Aston Villa and get them playing in the period that But he didn't played? Ten Hag do that to a point? Obviously, well, no, no, get rid of Cristiano no, no, Ronaldo, no, moving forward, winning yeah. the Carabao Cup. Yes, he, he did, but they got results. Yeah. But at no point, and even in the Carabao Cup final, they won, didn't play great. At no point did you go, my God, it's exciting to watch this United side again. They were getting results. The problem is now they're doing neither. They're doing absolutely neither. And, I just, and, I, and I'd worry for him now that what he was successful at, he was successful at in the Dutch league. And with respect, the Dutch league is weak. Mm. Right? The Premier League, we can huff and puff about the teams down the bottom, but it's not a weak league. Right? And he's got a big, big problem. So he's got the problem of players with some bad attitude, bad form, injuries, and he is absolutely scratching his head into what he wants his team to do. Final question to you, Rob, and I asked exactly the same thing to Mark yesterday. If not Ten Hag, then who? I mean, that, that's the, the golden question, and it's probably something that will save Ten Hag, or at least you know, if, if results don't pick up, delay him getting sat because there is no one else. I, I don't see that there is a, a viable candidate to come in and take over. In the past, you know, you've had United fans clamouring for um, for Jose Mourinho to come in or for Maurizio Pochettino to, to come in. There's, there's always been a, a standout candidate, but there isn't at the moment. The, the only manager possibly who you could see becoming available in, in the near future is, is Nagelsmann after the, the Euros with, with Germany. But again, if you were to sack Ten Hag tomorrow, you would need an interim. And we've seen that in the past that United have done that. It's not really worked out. You know, they had Ralph Ragnick a couple of years ago and he was absolutely dreadful. So there is no one else. And that's why what's well, one of the reasons why United are so determined for it to work under Ten Hag. But they can't run away from results. You can't just pretend that everything's fine when you're losing every week. You can't go through a season. United, United have lost seven of their 14 games. They can't lose every other week for the rest of the season to have Ten Hag be safe. Uh, and then it becomes, you, who do you find? You have to find someone in, in that scenario. I just think United at the moment are so desperate for it to work, they're not even considering it. Um, 
But ultimately, it, it will depend on, on results. And if they don't pick up soon, Ten Hag will have to go. Uh, good stuff, Rob. Thank you very much. We've got a busy day tomorrow, actually, with the Carabao Cup game. Minshaka and Craig will be in studio throughout the entirety of all the matches that will be taking place concurrently, keeping you up to date with everything uh, that is going on. Craig's excited. It all starts at 3 p.m. Eastern uh, tomorrow on ESPN+. Plus. The first kickoff is 3.30, and then the games continue then to the Manchester United against Newcastle game at Old Trafford, which is at 4.15. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Saudi Arabia will be awarded the 2034 uh, World Cup. This is what Australia's football CEO, uh, James Johnson, had to say about withdrawing their bid. Saudi's a strong bid. They have a lot of resources and not just for the 2034 World Cup. They are disrupting European football, paying higher dollars. This is a disruption in the market and that is what positions Saudi, what positions Saudi in a strong way. From the government top down, they are prioritising investment in football that is difficult, difficult to compete with. Uh, for more on this, uh, let's welcome in, shall we? Uh, Gab Marcotti uh, joins us. Uh, Gab, is this a surprise? Um, I mean, I think most would say it's not a surprise. I don't think it was a, a mystery that, that Saudi was probably uh, the, the preferred bid in, in some quarters. Uh, there was talk, because if you remember, FIFA had said that they'd introduced this principle of regional rotation where by fudging a little bit to be fair they said oh look you know North America gets 2026 and then 2030 goes to Europe Spain and Portugal plus Africa and Morocco uh, plus if we tackle on those three games in South America we can say it goes to South America as well well that leaves um, Asia and Oceania to go bid for uh, 2034. In Oceania, it's 11 countries with a total population of less than 10 million, and more than half of them live in New Zealand, so obviously they weren't going to figure. But there was a sense, could Australia maybe working with uh, with Indonesia, uh, with, with some of their neighbors, uh, maybe, maybe New Zealand as well, could they come together with an alternate bid? You know, in the end, it would have been Australia that would have had to do the heavy lifting here. And, you know, they looked at the numbers and they figured it just wasn't going to work. So are we going to have another Winter World Cup, Gab? 
that's one of many things TBD. And by the way, I should point out that <clears throat> FIFA uh, has come out and said, look, just because there's one bidder, uh, Saudi Arabia, and, uh, and, and same goes for 2030 as well, doesn't mean these countries are definitely going to get uh, the World Cup because uh, they, they still <laughs> need to submit their tender. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, they still have a process. Process does include human rights. Human Rights Watch came out and said, well, uh, if Saudi gets it, you're violating FIFA's own rules. So that's all TBD. Now, obviously, the clock is ticking. The Congress will vote on this in, in May when they meet. And if they if they pass the tests, then, uh, you know, when there's only one name on the ballot, it's kind of mm. hard to return a blank sheet of paper. Uh, this is what Amnesty International uh, came out and said uh, about the possibility of Saudi Arabia hosting the World Cup in 2034, uh, saying human rights commitments must be agreed with potential hosts before final decisions on holding the tournament are made. The best chance of FIFA to obtain binding guarantees to protect workers' rights, ensure freedom of expression and prevent discrimination linked to the World Cup is during the host selection process not after the hosts have been confirmed and tournament preparation has begun. How much will that statement fall on deaf ears, Gab? Um, look, this part really is up to FIFA, and I know people are going to be cynical about this, right? But they have not been approved. They, those tests that they're talking about, um, you know, they will have to go through them. Will they just be waved through? Uh, I, I'm... I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. And I think, you know, some people would argue that Saudi Arabia in 2034 isn't going to be Saudi Arabia today, that, you know, uh, migrant workers certainly less of an issue in, in Saudi because they have a large population, um, unlike, say, Qatar, for example. Um, but obviously, in terms of freedom of expression, in terms of women's rights, in terms of LGBTQ rights, um, they're certainly not getting high marks uh, from amnesty. I, I think the, the broader thing here uh, and I do have a column coming out on this this week, is that the way FIFA is set up now, they get 90, more than 95% of their revenue from the World Cup. The World Cup has to be a lucrative event for them. Uh, Qatar spent in excess of, uh, of $220 million on their World Cup, which is about 18 times more than Russia spent four years earlier, and obviously Russia a much bigger country. Uh, they've painted themselves in a corner where I think it's hard to imagine any World Cup that's not held in uh, uh, North America, Europe, or Asia, simply because that's where the money is, that's where the sponsors are. So, you know, once you say it's going to be in Asia, and I need to do this because I need to, to generate all this money so that I can then give it to my member associations, so that the member associations can A, develop football, and B, let's face it, vote for me again if I continue to uh, deliver the money for them, uh, it's hard to see how you break that cycle. And so when you've got somebody, you know, waving huge checkbooks the, the way Saudi have done of late, um, it's it's really hard, I think, for for the FIFA member nations and the FIFA Congress. There's more than 200 of them. They're the ones who decide. It's going to be really hard, I think, for them to, to say no. Gab, thank you very much. Uh, they'll be talking about this, of course, more on the latest edition of the Gab and Jules podcast, which drops on Thursday. Gab won't be going anywhere, though. He'll be back here for extra time, which you can always uh, check out over on our YouTube channel. Plenty of questions for Craig in the, about the Ballon d'Or today, it seems, Craig. Uh, be sure to go over to the website. Don't forget sure to, to subscribe.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Uh, that is it. That brings us to the end of today's show. Be sure to stay tuned, though. Gab Marcotti is back. Stevie and Craig as well to answer your questions on Extra Time. So be sure to stay with us. Welcome in then to the latest edition of Extra Time. Gab, I thought you were dressing up. I heard on the grapevine that maybe you would be wearing your Halloween costume. Um, I was very, very tempted um, to wear my Halloween <laughs> costume, but then I figured it might just confuse people. <laughs> what was that? Oh, I don't know if we want to go down that route now. Oh, what was it? But, oh, okay. <laughs> What was your costume? I was going to go as the... Oh, it's uh, chewing gum, isn't it? At school, he gets get into trouble for that. Would he? Definitely. You can't chew gum. Well, well unless you give us all one. Oh, really? Was that a line your teacher came oh, out with? Yes. Do you have enough for everybody? Oh, wow. There you go. I thought that was general in <laughs> well, school. I don't know. Maybe just oh, yours. That's, that's what happened in our school. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're eating, then we all have to have one. Oh. Otherwise, you can't. Oh, wow. OK. Hi. What other classics do you have? The bells for me, not you. Ah, all that stuff. All that stuff. Anyway, so Gab, what was your costume? Come on, let us know. Where are you? You're there. So I was tempted to go, uh, well, the, the costume is sort of conceptual. Uh, it was to go as the uh, Fibonacci sequence from, from yeah. mathematics. You know, you 1, go. 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34, and so on. What's he talking about? The Fibonacci. But then I figured people probably wouldn't get it. it. So. Yeah, is it prime numbers? Is that what it is, Gab? Never heard it. I'm no, it's, <laughs> it goes one, and then one again, and then two, because one plus one is two, then three, because one plus two is three, then five, because two plus three is five. <laughs> Why can't you just get a big dinosaur? Three plus five is eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Else. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like Tino Esprit, wasn't it? He started oh. the big dinosaurs. Uh, if you had your... Ch- oh, goodness me. If you had to choose, which football player would you dress up for for Halloween, Stevie? What football? Yeah. Dress up for? Oh, well, uh, dress, sorry, dress up as. Dress up for Halloween as. Well, I couldn't go Messi, could I? Too tall. You could do Messi. Okay. Same height. All right, perfect. You got pink, you got Inter Miami pink on. Okay, I can't think. I'll go for a ginger. Yes. Any you know what gingers are about? Kevin De Bruyne? Kevin De Bruyne. There we are. Perfect. Beautiful. Kevin I'd go Haaland. Let's <laughs> get that long Get the wig. Oh, yes. The flow. Yeah, you do get really oh, angry about that. Or hair. I might go with the Alice band. Yes. Yeah. He'd ate that as well. Yeah. Uh, which, oh, this, which footballer would you dress up as, Gab? I think it's all. I'd be tempted to go. I'd be tempted to go Slatan because obviously he's Slatan and it needs no. No explanation. But then I wonder, what would it be like to be to be a little fella? You know, I, I'm, I'm six foot, four and a half. I, I wonder how small people experience life. Maybe, Dan, you could shed some light on that. So 
I thought like, gee, I mean, what would it be like if, if you were, yeah. right, not Messi because he's another level, but what if you went to Sergio Aguero or, or one of those little guys? So yeah. you'd go around hey. on your knees, Gab? How would this work? Gab, are you going <laughs> to try and pull off mini-me? Is that what you're thinking? Oh, here you go. Are you left Austin Powers? Ooh, oh, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, there you are. Mini-me, yeah. How about that one? <laughs> <laughs> um, which manager have you had that was the scariest after a loss, Craig? Jim must have been quite angry, I imagine. Yeah, have... I wasn't scared of Jim. No. Senior players are not scared of manager. Right, I see. Not scared. Young pl- I, you I, must have seen young players scared of him, though. Jim, I used, to, <laughs> I used to... I actually used to think it was funny watching the young players. I say young players. Some of them were like... They weren't like 18. He wasn't screaming at teenagers. He was screaming at guys in their early 20s. Right. But I used to love watching them just cower in the corner. <laughs> Jim was laying into them. Quite funny. <laughs> and then I would, then I would tell him to, yeah, sling his hook. You must have seen the. You, you've talked about the evolution of Ronnie Moran. Like when people are first there, they're scared of him, and then right. slowly but surely you kind of understand him better. That must have been quite a sight. Yeah, I no, no, but yeah, yeah. Ronnie with the young, the younger guys in training, particularly. Right. He would, he would snap at uh, the younger guys in training. If he, if he thought for one second that you were slacking, I mean, you would get it. But after a game, I mean, as Craig said, you're not scared of them. Right. But you'd... Like Kenny. Don't, leash. don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. Keep your head down. Just keep looking at your feet on the ground. And if they even talk to you, you just nod your head or, and you just agree. You don't disagree or say anything at all. Because it just comes back in spades. Right. So you just, that's it, one of them. Was Ferguson as bad as he is portrayed to be, do you think? With regards think so, I. to the hairdryer, yeah. I think so, yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. But then again, you're picking and choosing your players, aren't you? Like, you wouldn't necessarily do that to... Well, that's what managers do, though. It's yeah. You've got, to, you've got to understand who's going to... Right. Who's going to buckle and who's not? It's difficult to explain to people when, the, when you, you know, because they'll do it. So, like, like Fergie would. So, so the most decorated player at Man United was Ryan Giggs, right? Yes. And if things weren't going quite well, it wouldn't matter what Ryan Giggs had done in the game. He would go straight to him. I see. Start balling him. Yeah. But he has He actually wasn't having a go at him per se. It was for somebody else. But he knew that he could take it. Aye. But it's very difficult to explain that, isn't it? Unless you've been in a dressing room and witnessing it. Right. Because it seems daft. People go, when I tell this to people, generally they'll go, well, that's daft. Why don't you just have a go at the guy that's... Well, the difference is that the guy might not be able to take it. Sure. Or, or he might crumble. Or it'll, it'll affect his game. There's so many things. There's so many reasons why they do it. But regardless, even if it's for somebody else, you still don't want to be on the end of it. Dion Button. Seth Johnson, Rory DeLapp, Malcolm Christie, Chris Riggett, Danny Higginbottom. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. Look <laughs> <laughs> how happy Greg is. <laughs> thinking back to it. Well, 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 as long as it's no you, it's funny. Jim would come in, call everybody cowards, and shout yeah. at people, and I would tell them where to go. <laughs> I just tell them where to go to. And then he'd go around them, and I'd be like, I went first. And uh, young boys were crumbling. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I wouldn't like it. Yeah, but he'd carry it on on a Monday, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Yeah, but he wouldn't carry over. What he'd come in on a Monday sometimes and he'd have a big meeting. But he wouldn't hold a grudge on a Monday if you'd had a... Right. Not a fight, but not a physical fight. If you'd have had a big fight with him on a weekend, generally on a Monday, Jim would put his arm around you and... Blah, blah, you know, old school. That was... You know. How were you, Stevie? When you were a coach and there was a loss or a bad performance in the first half? If somebody needed it, I would give him it. How... I didn't do it. I, I, must how, have, I never once did that. I never once gave it to somebody and it was meant for somebody else. Right. If somebody was... How would you do it? I'll just look him straight in the face and give him it. Right. Proper... Aye. But then... Again... Monday morning, it's forgotten. Right. You can't... And again, you just... You sort of learn it from watching the old guys, the old school guys. Like Ronnie Moran. You know, Ronnie would... Ronnie would chew you out and then if, if you walked into him in the afternoon... I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't growl at you. He would, be, he would still say hello and whatever. I mean, so you didn't hold good. I, I know we're, we're going, like... It's long. long. We're, we're, tell you what, no, no, actually, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm intrigued. Actually, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that you don't this. know the actually, answer. Actually, it's an important point, this. The reason they don't hold grudges is because the only reason they're having a go at you is because of the football. They're not going to go at you because they don't like you. Or they think, you know what I mean? It's, it's not personal. Right. It's never personal. Because when it becomes personal, you can't just brush it off. Because then you lose the respect of them and the others. But then it starts a whole load of right. things down the line. But when it's just about football, that's why the next the next five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is, day later, it's you move on to the next thing. It's amazing. I, it's amazing how managers are different. I, I never hit, just wouldn't move on. Vim Janssen at Celtic, I only ever heard them shout at one player. In 12 months. Right. In a heat of a title race. And that was, and ironically, it was Henrik Larsson. Never, and they got into some buckle up over something, and Vim was screaming at him in Dutch, and he was screaming back in Swedish. Uh, and the rest of us had no idea what they were saying, <laughs> apart from a couple of the other Scandinavian lads. But, uh, uh, and they get into a bit of a tear up, and I'd never heard. Ever, ever. Even in the worst case scenario. Right. Jansen came in a dressing room, half time or after the game, never shout. Yeah. It's the only time I've ever heard. That's what they said about Wenger, wasn't he? When he went into Arsenal, they were shouting half time. He said, don't, you know, we're not, oh, right, we're yeah. not, not going to do that. And it's different styles. But again, can you imagine Ten Hag, for example, shouting at Anthony in front of everyone after what we saw? Because that was something that you would imagine you would see in the past when you, from Sir Alex, but we're kind of speculating a little bit. To be honest, as soon as you said that, as soon as you mentioned Anthony's name, yeah. I could see him coming back. Right, I see. <laughs> Which you, you don't do, you never do it. Because you can't win it, you don't yeah. win that fight. Yeah. Which Jaden Sanchez found it. Did Jaden Sanchez. The Ten Hag, not, one of the things he said in his press conference was it not, we're on the way up. <laughs> Did you see that? Bonkers, isn't it? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Getting better. Uh, Gab, will the next current generation be represented by Mbappe, Haaland, Bellingham and Vinicius Jr? Who else can you see being among these four? Um, I think without questioning, I mean, I mean you, can, you can argue whether Vinicius is on a par with, with the other three. Um, I mean, you can rank them any way you want. Um, you know, if you're asking kind of the next gen, next gen, so the people are coming up after that. Uh, I think anybody who's seen Lamine Yamal play will be very excited. If you want to put put Gavi in the mix there, who's mm. who's younger, 
Uh, I don't just want to mention Barcelona players, by the way, but those are obviously two who. who Musiala, I think you could put in that conversation, couldn't you, Gam? Definitely, Jamal Musiala um, is another one who who belongs in the mix. You know, I, I think what we're seeing now, probably more than I did, more than in the past, is we are seeing very young players play very important roles for very big clubs. Um, and, and that just generally didn't seem to happen. If you look at, I'll give you one obvious example, like Andres Iniesta came through the ranks of Barcelona, played his whole career there. You know, it wasn't until he was like 21, 22 years old that he really became uh, a starter, became a regular. And these other guys are being thrown in younger. It's interesting, like Maka talks about when he was breaking through at Liverpool, Stevie, with you. Uh, obviously, it was kind of like a gradual process. You go on the bus, you go on an away game, you wouldn't be on the bench, but you kind of slowly but surely integrate yourself into the team. Here, it just seems to be completely different. It seems to be fast-tracking all the time. I'm wondering whether the way the game's played got something to do with that. Because generally, 100% of my generation, and probably when Maka was coming through, you still had that physical element that you had to get over. Right. Because you, A, you were still allowed to kick people. <laughs> and so when some young whippersnapper is running past you or trying to make you or whatever it is, then you generally would have the ability to give them a slap. Right. In whatever manner you could get away with. So the physical aspect of it, I think, was how, definitely in my day and maybe the next one, they could still they could still affect younger players, both physically and mentally. So I'm wondering whether the way the game's played today, whether because it's so open, there's so much space, is that why younger younger players are able to play at the highest level? Well, you can not? throw Pedri in the mix, but it just seems he's gone off the radar a little bit because... But how much does that have to do with playing however many but, hundreds but, of games? He, he, well, yeah, playing the Olympics and playing for this and that, and he's injured again, but we, we know he's a potential superstar in the making because of the way, of he, the way he's already played. Then you've got Laminia Mal coming in at 16. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, to Stevie's point about the physicality, I remember, you know, when you even go to... And you talk, Maka talks about the graduation and when you're coming through the youth team and you get in, the, the, we called it the resis, and then you start to go and train with the first team. Right. Even when you go and train with the first team, you're like, wow, that's a big step because they're like, they're big, they're big boys. <laughs> the big guys, and I'm skinny. And it's like, it just seems all of that has, I think even the body shape of these kids has changed because of the way that they're coming through the ranks and the, the, the strength and conditioning advice they even get as youngsters is something that we just never heard of. I was 19 when I went <coughs> to Liverpool. Right. Right, 19. So you got your meal and Mal playing <coughs> at 16. Yes. Gavi, yep. 17. Pedri, 18. Yeah. I was 19. And I was pretty strong. And I remember one of the first training sessions, because I used to try and get in and around everybody, regardless of who it was. And I went to Sunus once. And it wasn't quite this obvious, but it, it felt like he was just doing this. Oh, yeah. The old school way he was trying to get I was like, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get after him. Right. And he was like kind of holding them all, going, hey, over this, what about Snapper? Wow. And I was 19. Yeah. So that's the difference in strength. I couldn't. I, physically, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with a guy. Couldn't deal with him, and I was 19, and we're talking about 16-year-olds. Go on, Gav. No, I was just going to say. I mean, I think it's a good point about the physicality, and, and that kids are just—I don't know—they're just 
bigger and stronger. And all the guys we mentioned before, uh, I mean, obviously, Holland is, 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 is a man-child. Uh, Warren Zaire-Emery, who I didn't mention before, but, you know, is another one physically strong. Jude Bellingham playing in the championship every week at 16 years of age. You know, these are big fellas. Um, and then guys like Mbappe and, uh, and Vinicius, obviously not quite as big, but you got to catch those guys first. And, and, and they're not little people either. So I, I think uh, the... These guys are just maturing physically at, um, at a much, much younger age. And maybe that's also what's kind of prompting people to, to, go, and, to go and trust them. Uh, Gab, would a point-based system like the one for the Golden Boot be a better way to decide the Ballon d'Or? You could keep track of players' individual performances in each game and set a specific multiplier like for the Golden Boot. So, like... Uh points-based system, who would be doling out the points? Would it be, would it you, be judges? You're would in charge, Gav. Asking... You, 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 you've got the responsibility. You can put your uh, Halloween Joe, outfit There on. you are, yes. Your Fibonacci sequence. As I age, I become much more Craig Burlian uh, on this uh, oh. subject. Uh, this is a silly popularity contest. And I know that people take it very seriously, as it with its history and whatever. Oh but what you have to realize <laughs> oh is, among the Ballon d'Or jury, are people who watch tons of football in person, and watch maybe not every league, but certainly watch a lot of games in all the major leagues. There's also people who, not, not because they're bad or stupid, but because they've never ever seen these guys in the flesh. Um, and at best, they get to, you know, they live halfway around the world and, and they watch them, they watch them only on TV or on YouTube highlights. And their vote counts just as much as, you know, my old colleague Henry Winter from, from, from the Times who has the vote for, uh, vote for England and who, you know, literally watches like, goes like six games in person a week in every competition. That's just the reality of the competition. So, you know, if the guy, with all due respect, in the Cook Islands, decides to start giving out points uh, and we weigh those points as heavily as you know somebody who's actually watching Real Madrid or Manchester City and is actually there and has access to much more information, I don't think the system's really going to work. Gab, that's a bit patronising, isn't it? If you lived in the UK, you couldn't even it's watch not. the Classico. You can watch the Classico this weekend. It wasn't available. So if you happen to go to someone in Cook well, Islands all, because they're handing out things on YouTube, yeah. you couldn't have watched that game in La Liga yeah. uh, that's, la that, that's one of the biggest matches in the world because the UK don't really care about anything yeah. else that isn't based in the UK. All right, so first of all, Dan, you could yes. watch the Classico in the UK because how, how could you all you had it, to Dan? do was... Well, uh, the Classico was carried on La Liga television which is available on Sky and Virgin or whatever. It's also available to anybody with an Amazon Prime sub subscription, like <laughs> me. Um, and I went to my television and I opened my Amazon Prime app and I clicked on the La Liga TV button and there it was. Even though, yes, it is during the mystical three o'clock Saturday blackout. I don't know. Maybe the Gab, morons I don't know about you and your illegal VPNs, and I don't know there. how you get access to hey, no, these no, things. No, no, there's no VPN. But it's, quite, it, 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 it's a bit, it's, it's a bit patronizing. I was shocked. Right, no, I, I, I don't think it's patronizing at all. If you're going to go down and make it so granular about, you know, actually giving out points, 
what if the center forward from Slavia Prague, like nobody's watching his games, right? Who's gonna give him points? Anybody? He doesn't have or to are we watch just games. gonna are we just gonna say, oh, if you play for these ten clubs that everybody watches? No, it, it, it's it's just a silly. The whole thing is a silly popularity contest. That's all it is. They only had to and watch who does better Cup. in the biggest competition than who? You only had to watch the World Cup. <laughs> there you are, best boss, done. Uh, if yeah, Martinez is ever the best goalkeeper, he won the World Cup, we'll give you that. Yes. Yes, I know. You know what I mean? It's like... Uh, Craig, if Messi goes to Barcelona in January on loan, wins the Champions League, then the Copa America, will it be his ninth Ballon d'Or? Well, he won't be doing that. I don't think he's going to go back to uh, I mean, what, Barcelona. What about Haaland? I mean, I don't want to open it. What if Norway never get to a World Cup? It's not Ellen Haaland's fault, is it? Uh, no. You know what I mean? So that, that's why it's just an full of show ponies. Yes. What? Full of show ponies. Uh, uh, yes. It turned up there. Wait. Sorry, what sorry. What about Mbappe clapping? Imagine as I love Ellen <laughs> Who claps like that? Craig. <laughs> Who's that? Mbappe. I wasn't watching it, by the way. I saw the clap. No, it's all right, Craig. You don't have to watch that. Imagine you there for three hours yesterday. Gab, what are you going to say now? Um... <laughs> Now, I know I'm not having a go at Erling Holland, but if he never makes a World Cup in his lifetime, and his lifetime will include a World Cup that, that's going to be 48 teams, and who knows, the way things are going might go up to 64 teams, maybe even 128 teams, and he plays for a Norwegian generation that you know includes Martin Udegaard and, and, and Sander Berg and Leo Ostergaard and a whole bunch, and, and Nyland at Sevilla, and a whole bunch of, you know, legitimate players who play for big teams i'm not saying it's going to be his fault and all his fault but it will suggest that he's really come up short and i think he's going to blame himself and probably rightly so if he never makes one single world cup in those circumstances gab who's most likely to win the Serie A this season who's most likely to win Serie A this season Yes. Uh, I'm going to say the team that's in first place right now, which is Inter, based on the fact that they have depth. I think they have a really, really good underrated uh, manager. And, um, and Milan seems so hit or miss, so up and down. And, and I do think Juve still have issues to work out. Final question, Stevie. Should Real Madrid forget about Mbappe and go for Haaland next summer? There's nothing else for Haaland to really win at City. And then link up between Prime Haaland and Bellingham would be amazing. <laughs> it would be. And also, Vinny would go back to the left. Mm. So... He signed a new contract today. I'd love to see that. I'll tell you that. Because he yeah. gets to see Mbappe getting... <laughs> you just get the feeling that he would go there Mbappe and just mess it up with just ruin everything just, everyone's happy at the moment aren't they because it's me it seems to be me 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 we am yeah so I think I would rather if I'm if I'm a Real Madrid fan I would rather see that I would rather see Haaland at centre forward yeah Vinny back on the left and Bellingham coming from the middle of the park I wouldn't have a problem with that uh, that is it we are done Go and trick or treat now, Gab. It's what? What's it? Eleven o'clock with you? It's about time to go out, Gab. Switching the lights off soon. It's a uh, yeah. I, I think at this hour of night, only miscreants are out uh, oh. trick or treating. Sorry. Oh, That's there you not... go. Stevie no. was walking around the neighbourhood yesterday, giving everyone little hol uh, Halloween packages. Yeah, weren't you, Stevie? Oh, neighbour's kids, eh? Look at that. What's wrong with that? I, I don't know. I think That's what a good neighbour does, right? Why don't you just wait till today? Because I didn't notice today, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. No, I know. Well, because I got mixed up, because they only, 
On Friday night, unfortunately, <laughs> I had to walk, but so Eleanor took my granddaughter to the parade. Right. Halloween parade. Yes. So subconsciously. What's Friday got to do with. Uh, well, because subconsciously. Uh, Tuesday. I'm like, oh my God. Listen, if you'd said to me a month ago, what day is Halloween? 31st. I would have no Same idea. Same day it's been every year. You, 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 no you were nervous about your first first That's a clue. No. Absolutely not a clue. No. What, no you, next year, when you want to have a 4th of so, September? Subconsciously, subconsciously, <laughs> because the parade was on Friday. Yes. That's why I went round to the neighbours yesterday and gave them their prezzy. Oh, that's very nice of you, Stevie. What a lovely name. So I'm not connected this Friday to Monday. Because the parade was on Friday, the parade was on Friday. Come on. So somebody who doesn't know the date of Halloween <laughs> would automatically think maybe that was Halloween, the 28th. Oh, I see. Yeah. So why it's going to be the next working Friday. day. It makes sense. <laughs> well, just to get you more... The next working day, Stevie, it makes sense. Mate, I don't. <laughs> to be fair, just to keep you in the loop, next year it's December 25. Hey, oh, it makes sense to you, this doesn't need to be. Uh, that's all. Uh, there we go. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow for our Carabao Cup Spectacular. Until then, goodbye. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com FC. Just go to Indeed.com FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.